0: Section One of Father Goriot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. Father Goriot, by Honoré Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. Section One. To the great and illustrious, Geoffrey Saint hilaire a token of admiration for his works and genius de balzac father goriot madame vincur née de conflans is an elderly person who for the past forty years has kept a lodging-house in the rue neuve saint genevive the district that lies between the latin quarter and the faubourg saint her house known in the neighborhood as the maison vainqueur receives men and women old and young and no word has ever been breathed against her respectable establishment but at the same time it must be said that as a matter of fact no young woman has been under her roof for thirty years and that if a young man stays there for any length of time it is a sure sign that his allowance must be of the slenderest in eighteen nineteen however the time when this drama opens there was an almost penniless young girl among madame Vancouver's boarders that word drama has been somewhat discredited of late it has been overworked and twisted to strange uses in these days of dolorous literature but it must do service again here not because this story is dramatic in the restricted sense of the word but because some tears may perhaps be shed entre et extra-moureaux before it is over will anyone without the walls of paris understand it it is open to doubt the only audience who could appreciate the results of close observation, the careful reproduction of minute detail and local color, are dwellers between the heights of Montrouge and Montmartre, in a vale of crumbling stucco watered by streams of black mud, a veil of sorrows which are real, and joys too often hollow but this audience is so accustomed to terrible sensations that only some unimaginable and well-nigh impossible woe could produce any lasting impression there now and again there are tragedies so awful and so grand by reason of the complication of virtues and vices that bring them about that egotism and selfishness are forced to pause and are moved to pity but the impression that they receive is like a luscious fruit soon consumed civilization like the car of a juggernaut is scarcely stayed perceptibly in its progress by a heart less easy to break than the others that lie in its course this also is broken and civilization continues on her course triumphant and you too will do the like you who with this book in your white hand will sink back among the cushions of your armchair and say to yourself perhaps this may amuse me you will read the story of father goriot's secret woes and dining thereafter with an unspoiled appetite will lay the blame of your insensibility upon the writer and accuse him of exaggeration of writing romances Ah once for all this drama is neither a fiction nor a romance all is true so true that every one can discern the elements of the tragedy in his own house perhaps in his own heart the lodging house is madame vancou's own property it is still standing in the lower end of the rue neuve saint genevieve just where the road slopes so sharply down to the rue de la that wheeled traffic seldom passes that way because it is so stony and steep this position is sufficient to account for the silence prevalent in the streets shut in between the dome of the pantheon and the dome of the val-de-grace two conspicuous public buildings which give a yellowish tone to the landscape and darken the whole district that lies beneath the shadow of their leaden-hued cupolas in that district pavements are clean and dry there is neither mud nor water in the gutters grass grows in the chinks in the walls the most heedless passer-by feels the depressing influences of a place where the sound of wheels creates a sensation there is a grim look about the houses a suggestion of a jail about those high garden walls a parisienne straying into a suburb apparently composed of lodging-houses and public institutions would see poverty and dullness old age lying down to die and joyous youth condemned to drudgery it is the ugliest quarter of paris and it may be added the least known but before all things the Rue Nouvre saint Genevive is like a bronze frame for a picture for which the mind cannot be too well prepared by the contemplation of sad hues and sober images. Even so, step by step the daylight decreases, and the Cicerone's droning voice grows hollower as the traveller descends into the catacombs. The comparison holds good who shall say which is more ghastly the sight of the bleached skulls or of dried-up human hearts the front of the lodging-house is at right angles to the road and looks out upon a little garden so that you see the side of the house in section as it were from the rue neuvre saint genevieve beneath the wall of the house front there lies a channel a fathom wide paved with cobblestones and beside it runs a gravelled walk bordered by geraniums and oleanders and pomegranates set in great blue and white glazed earthenware pots access to the gravelled walk is afforded by a door above which the words maison vainqueur may be read and beneath in rather small letters lodgings for both sexes etc during the day a glimpse into the garden is easily obtained through a wicket to which a bell is attached on the opposite wall at the farther end of the gravel walk a green marble arch was painted once upon a time by a local artist and in this semblance of a shrine a statue representing cupid is installed a parisian cupid so blistered and disfigured that it looks like a candidate for one of the adjacent hospitals and might suggest an allegory to lovers of symbolism the half obliterated inscription on the pedestal beneath determines the date of this work of art for it bears witness to the widespread enthusiasm felt for voltaire on his return to paris in seventeen seventy seven whoe'er thou art thy master see he is or was or ought to be at night the wicket-gate is replaced by a solid door the little garden is no wider than the front of the house it is shut in between the wall of the street and the partition wall of the neighbouring house a mantle of ivory conceals the bricks and attracts the eyes of passers-by to an effect which is picturesque in paris for each of the walls is covered with trellised vines that yield a scanty dusty crop of fruit and furnish besides a subject of conversation for madame vainqueur and her lodgers every year the widow trembles for her vintage a straight path beneath the walls on either side of the garden leads to a clump of lime-trees at the farther end of it lime-trees as madame vainqueur persists in calling them in spite of the fact that she was a des and regardless of repeated corrections from her lodgers the central space between the walls is filled with artichokes and rows of pyramid fruit trees and surrounded by a border of lettuce pot herb and parsley under the lime trees there are a few green painted garden seats and a wooden table and hither during the dog days such of the lodgers as are rich enough to indulge in a cup of coffee come to take their pleasure though it is hot enough to roast eggs even in the shade the house itself is three stories high without counting the attics under the roof it is built of rough stone and covered with the yellowish stucco that gives a mean appearance to almost every house in paris there are five windows In each story in the front of the house, all the blinds visible through the small square panes are drawn up awry, so that the lines are all at cross-purposes. At the side of the house there are but two windows on each floor, and the lowest of all are adorned with a heavy iron grating. Behind the house a yard extends for some twenty feet a space inhabited by a happy family of pigs poultry and rabbits the woodshed is situated on the farther side and on the wall between the woodshed and the kitchen window hangs the meat-safe just above the place where the sink discharges its greasy streams the cook sweeps all the refuse out through a little door into the rue Sainte st and frequently cleanses the yard with copious supplies of water under pain of pestilence the house might have been built on purpose for its present uses access is given by a french window to the first room on the ground floor a sitting-room which looks out upon the street through the two barred windows already mentioned another door opens out of it into the dining-room which is separated from the kitchen by the well of the staircase the steps being constructed partly of wood partly of tiles which are coloured and beeswaxed nothing can be more depressing than the sight of that sitting-room the furniture is covered with horsehair woven in alternate dull and glossy stripes there is a round table in the middle with a purplish-red marble top on which there stands, by way of ornament, the inevitable white china tea service, covered with a half-effaced gilt network. The floor is sufficiently uneven, the wainscot rises to elbow height, and the rest of the wall space is decorated with a varnished paper, on which the principal scenes from Telemach are depicted, the various classical personages being colored the subject between the two windows is the banquet given by calypso to the son of ulysses displayed thereon for the admiration of the boarders and has furnished jokes these forty years to the young men who show themselves superior to their position by making fun of the dinners to which poverty condemns them the hearth is always so clean and neat that it is evident that a fire is only kindled there on great occasions the stone chimney-piece is adorned by a couple of vases filled with faded artificial flowers imprisoned under glass shades on either side of a bluish marble clock in the very worst taste. The first room exhales an odor for which there is no name in the language and which should be called an odeur de pensons the damp atmosphere sends a chill through you as you breathe it it has a stuffy musty and rancid quality it permeates your clothing after dinner scents seem to be mingled in with smells from the kitchen and scullery and the reek of a hospital it might be possible to describe it if some one should discover a process by which to distil from the atmosphere all the nauseating elements with which it is charged by the catarrhal exhalations of every individual lodger young or old yet in spite of these stale horrors the sitting-room is as charming and as delicately perfumed as a boudoir when compared with the adjoining dining-room the panelled walls of that apartment were once painted some colour now a matter of conjecture for the surface is encrusted with accumulated layers of grimy deposit which cover it with fantastic outlines a collection of dim-ribbed glass decanters metal discs with a satin sheen on them and piles of blue-edged earthenware plates of touraine where cover the sticky surfaces of the sideboards that line the room in a corner stands a box containing a set of numbered pigeon-holes in which the lodger's table-napkins more or less soiled and stained with wine are kept here you see that indestructible furniture never met with elsewhere which finds its way into lodging-houses much as the wrecks of our civilization drift into hospitals for incurables you expect in such places as these to find the weather-house whence a capuchin issues on wet days you look to find the execrable engravings which spoil your appetite framed every one in a black varnished frame with a gilt beading round it you know the sort of tortoise-shell clock-case inlaid with brass the green stove the argand lamps covered with oil and dust the oilcloth which covers the long table is so greasy that a waggish extern will write his name on the surface using his thumb-nail as a style the chairs are broken-down invalids the wretched little hempen mats slip away from under your feet without slipping away for good and finally the foot-warmers are miserable wrecks hingeless charred broken away about the holes it would be impossible to give an idea of the old rotten shaky cranky worm eaten halt maimed one-eyed rickety and ramshackle condition of the furniture without an exhaustive description which would delay the progress of the story to an extent that impatient people would not pardon the red tiles of the floor are full of depressions brought about by scouring and periodical renewings of color in short there is no illusory grace left to the poverty that reigns here it is dire parsimonious concentrated threadbare poverty as yet it has not sunk into the mire it is only splashed by it and though not in rags as yet its clothing is ready to drop to pieces this apartment is in all its glory at seven o'clock in the morning when madame vancourt's cat appears announcing the near approach of his mistress and jumps upon the sideboards to sniff the milk in the bowls each protected by a plate while he purrs his morning greeting to the world a moment later the widow shows her face she is tricked out in a net cap attached to a false front set on awry and shuffles into the room in her slipshod fashion she is an oldish woman with a bloated countenance and a nose like a parrot's beak set in the middle of it her fat little hands she is as sleek as a church rat and her shapeless slouching figure are in keeping with the room that reeks of misfortune where hope is reduced to speculate for the meanest stakes madame vainqueur alone can breathe that tainted air without being disheartened by it her face is as fresh as a frosty morning in autumn there are wrinkles about the eyes that vary in their expression from the set smile of a ballet dancer to the dark suspicious scowl of a discounter of bills in short she is at once the embodiment and interpretation of her lodging-house as sure as her lodging-house implies the existence of its mistress you can no more imagine the one without the other than you can think of a jail without a turnkey the unwholesome corpulence of the little woman is produced by the life she leads just as typhus fever is bred in the tainted air of a hospital the very knitted woollen petticoat that she wears beneath a skirt made of an old gown with the wadding protruding through the rents in the material is a sort of epitome of the sitting-room the dining-room and the little garden it discovers the cook it foreshadows the lodgers the picture of the house is completed by the portrait of its mistress madame vacure at the age of fifty is like all women who have seen a deal of trouble she has the glassy eyes an innocent heir of a trafficker in flesh and blood who will wax virtuously indignant to obtain a higher price for her services but who is quite ready to betray a george's or a -a pitcher if a george's or a -a pitcher were in hiding and still to be betrayed or for any other expedient that may alleviate her lot still she is a good woman at bottom said the lodgers who believed that the widow was wholly dependent upon the money that they paid her and sympathized when they heard her cough and groan like one of themselves what had monsieur Ker been the lady was never very explicit on this head how had she lost her money through trouble was her answer he had treated her badly had left her nothing but her eyes to cry over his cruelty the house she lived in and the privilege of pitying nobody because so she was wont to say she herself had been through every possible misfortune sylvie the stout cook hearing her mistress's shuffling footsteps hastened to serve the lodgers breakfasts beside those who lived in the house madame Bercoeur took boarders who came for their meals but these externes usually only came to dinner for which they paid thirty francs a month at the time when this story begins the lodging-house contained seven inmates the best rooms in the house were on the first story madame Bacour herself occupying the least important while the rest was let to madame couture the widow of a commissary general in the service of the republic. With her lived Victorine Taillefer, a schoolgirl, to whom she filled the place of mother. These two ladies paid eighteen hundred francs a year. The two sets of rooms on the second floor were respectively occupied by an old man named Poiret and a man of forty or thereabouts the wearer of a black wig and dyed whiskers who gave out that he was a retired merchant and was addressed as monsieur bautrin two of the four rooms on the third floor were also let one to an elderly spinster a mademoiselle michonneau and the other to a retired manufacturer of vermicelli italian paste and starch who allowed the others who addressed him as father goriot the remaining rooms were allotted to various birds of passage to impecunious students who like father goriot and mademoiselle michonneau could only muster forty-five francs a month to pay for their board and lodging madame Bacur had little desire for lodgers of this sort they ate too much bread and she only took them in default of better at that time one of the rooms was tenanted by a law student a young man from the neighborhood of angouleme one of a large family who pinched and starved themselves to spare twelve hundred francs a year for him misfortune had accustomed eugene de rastignac for that was his name to work he belonged to the number of young men who know as children that their parents are centred on them, and deliberately prepare themselves for a great career, subordinating their studies from the first to this end, carefully watching the indications of the course of events, calculating the probable turn that affairs will take, that they may be the first to profit by them. But for this observant curiosity, and the skill with which he managed to introduce himself into the salons of Paris, this story would not have been colored by the tones of truth which it certainly owes to him for they are entirely due to his penetrating sagacity and desire to fathom the mysteries of an appalling condition of things which was concealed as carefully by the victim as by those who had brought it to pass above the third story there was a garret where the linen was hung to dry and a couple of attics christophe the man of all work slept in one and sylvie the stout cook in the other beside the seven inmates thus enumerated taking one year with another some eight law or medical students dined in the house as well as two or three regular comers who lived in the neighbourhood there were usually eighteen people at dinner and there was room, if need be, for twenty, at Madame Vagueux's table. At breakfast, however, only the seven lodgers appeared. It was almost like a family party. Everyone came down in dressing-gown and slippers, and the conversation usually turned on anything that had happened the evening before. Comments on the dress or appearance of the dinner contingent were exchanged in friendly confidence." these seven lodgers were madame vacour's spoiled children among them she distributed with astronomical precision the exact proportion of respect and attention due to the varying amounts they paid for their board one single consideration influenced all these human beings thrown together by chance the two second floor lodgers only paid seventy-two francs a month such prices as these were confined to the fabourg saint michel and the district between la bourbe and saltpetriere and as might be expected poverty more or less apparent weighed upon them all madame couture being the sole exception to the rule the dreary surroundings were reflected in the costumes of the inmates of the house all were alike threadbare the color of the men's coats was problematical. Such shoes, in more fashionable quarters, are only to be seen lying in the gutter. The cuffs and collars were worn and frayed at the edges. Every limp article of clothing looked like the ghost of its former self. The women's dresses were faded, old-fashioned, dyed and re-dyed. They wore gloves that were glazed with hardware, much-mended lace, dingy ruffles crumpled muslin fichu. so much for their clothing but for the most part their frames were solid enough their constitutions had weathered the storms of life their cold hard faces were worn like coins that had been withdrawn from circulation but there were greedy teeth behind the withered lips dramas brought to a close or still in progress are foreshadowed by the sight of such actors as these not the dramas that are played before the footlights and against a background of painted canvas but dumb dramas of life frost-bound dramas that sear hearts like fire dramas that do not end with the actors lives mademoiselle michonneau that elderly young lady screened her weak eyes from the daylight by a soiled green-silk shade with a rim of brass, an object fit to scare away the angel of pity himself. Her shawl, with its scanty, draggled fringe, might have covered a skeleton, so meagre and angular was the form beneath it. Yet she must have been pretty and shapely once. What corrosive, had destroyed the feminine outlines was it trouble or vice or greed had she loved too well had she been a second-hand clothes-dealer a frequenter of the backstairs of great houses or had she been merely a courtesan was she expiating the flaunting triumphs of a youth overcrowded with pleasures by an old age in which she was shunned by every passer-by her vacant gaze had a chill through you. Her shrivelled face seemed like a menace. Her voice was like the shrill, thin note of a grasshopper, sounding from the thicket when winter is at hand. She said that she had nursed an old gentleman, ill of catarrh of the bladder, and left to die by his children, who thought that he had nothing left, his bequest to her a life annuity of a thousand francs was periodically disputed by his heirs who mingled slander with their persecutions in spite of the ravages of conflicting passions her face retained some traces of its former fairness and fineness of tissue some vestiges of the physical charms of her youth still survived m was a sort of automaton he might be seen any day sailing like a gray shadow along the walks of the jardin des plantes on his head a shabby cap a cane with an old yellow ivory handle in the tips of his thin fingers the outspread skirts of his threadbare overcoat failed to conceal his bigger figure his breeches hung loosely on his shrunken limbs the thin blue stockinged legs trembled like those of a drunken man there was a notable breach of continuity between the dingy white waistcoat and crumpled shirt frills and the cravat twisted about a throat like a turkey gobbler's altogether his appearance set people wondering whether this outlandish ghost belonged to the audacious race of the sons of japhet who flutter about on the boulevard italien What devouring kind of toil could have so shriveled him? What devouring passions had darkened that bulbous countenance, which would have seemed outrageous as a caricature? What had he been? Well, perhaps he had been part of the machinery of justice, a clerk in the office to which the executioner sends in his accounts, so much for providing black veils for parasites so much for sawdust so much for pulleys and cord for the knife or he might have been a receiver at the door of a public slaughter-house or a sub-inspector of nuisances indeed the man appeared to have been one of the beasts of burden in our great social mill one of those parisienne retons, whom their bertrands do not even know by sight a pivot in the obscure machinery that disposes of misery and things unclean one of those men in short at sight of whom we are prompted to remark that after all we cannot do without them stately paris ignores the existence of these faces bleached by moral or physical suffering but then paris is in truth an ocean that no line can plumb you may survey its surface and describe it but no matter how numerous and painstaking the toilers in this sea there will always be lonely and unexplored regions in its depths caverns unknown flowers and pearls and monsters of the deep overlooked or forgotten by the divers of literature the maison vacure is one of these curious monstrosities two however of madame vacour's boarders formed a striking contrast to the rest there was a sickly pallor such as is often seen in anaemic girls in mademoiselle victorine Taillefer's face and her unvarying expression of sadness like her embarrassed manner and pinched look was in keeping with the general wretchedness of the establishment in Rue Neuvre-Saint-Genevieve, which forms a background to this picture. But her face was young, there was youthfulness in her voice and elasticity in her movements. This young misfortune was not unlike a shrub, newly planted in an uncongenial soil where its leaves have already begun to wither. THE OUTLINES OF HER FIGURE, REVEALED BY HER DRESS OF THE SIMPLEST AND CHEAPEST MATERIALS, WERE ALSO YOUTHFUL. THERE WAS THE SAME KIND OF CHARM ABOUT HER TOO SLENDER FORM, HER FAINTLY COLORED FACE AND LIGHT BROWN HAIR THAT MODERN POETS FIND IN MEDIEVAL statuettes, AND A SWEET EXPRESSION, A LOOK OF CHRISTIAN RESIGNATION IN THE DARK GREY EYES. She was pretty by force of contrast. If she had been happy, she would have been charming. Happiness is the poetry of woman, as the toilette is her tinsel. If the delights of a luxurious life had brought the color to the wan cheeks that were slightly hollowed already, if love had put sight into the sad eyes, then Victorine might have ranked among the fairest but she lacked the two things which create woman a second time pretty dresses and love letters a book might have been made of her story her father was persuaded that he had sufficient reason for declining to acknowledge her and allowed her a bare six hundred francs a year he had further taken measures to disinherit his daughter and had converted all his real estate into personality that he might leave it undivided to his son victorine's mother had died broken hearted in madame couture's house and the latter who was a near relation had taken charge of the little orphan unluckily the widow of the commissary general to the armies of the republic had nothing in the world but her jointure and her widow's pension and some day she might be obliged to leave the helpless inexperienced girl to the mercy of the world the good soul therefore took victorine's to mass every sunday and to confession once a fortnight thinking that in any case she would bring her ward to be devout she was right religion offered a solution of the problem of the young girl's future the poor child loved the father who refused to acknowledge her once every year she tried to see him to deliver her mother's message of forgiveness but every year hitherto she had knocked at that door in vain her father was inexorable her brother her only means of communication had not come to see her for four years and had sent her no assistance yet she prayed to god to unseal her father's eyes and to soften her brother's heart and no accusations mingled with her prayers madame couture and madame exhausted the vocabulary of abuse and failed to find words that did justice to the banker's iniquitous conduct but while they heaped execrations on the millionaire victorine's words were as gentle as the moan of the wounded dove and affection found expression even in the cry drawn from her by pain eugene de rastignac was a thoroughly southern type he had a fair complexion blue eyes black hair in his figure manner and his whole bearing it was easy to see that he had either come of a noble family or that from his earliest childhood he had been gently bred if he was careful of his wardrobe only taking last year's clothes into daily wear still upon occasion he could issue forth as a young man of fashion ordinarily he wore a shabby coat and waistcoat the limp black cravat untidily knotted that students affect trousers that matched the rest of his costume and boots that had been resold vautrin the man of forty with the dyed whiskers marked a transition stage between these two young people and the others he was the kind of man that calls forth the remark he looks a jovial sort he had broad shoulders a well-developed chest, muscular arms, and strong square-fisted hands. The joints of his fingers were covered with tufts of fiery red hair. His face was furrowed by premature wrinkles. There was a certain hardness about it in spite of his bland and insinuating manner. His bass voice was by no means unpleasant, and was in keeping with his boisterous laughter. He was always obliging always in good spirits. If anything went wrong with one of the locks, he could soon unscrew it, take it to pieces, file it, oil and clean and set it in order, and put it back in its place again. I am an old hand at it, he used to say. Not only so, he knew all about ships, the sea. France, foreign countries, men, business, law, great houses and prisons, there was nothing that he did not know if anyone complained rather more than usual he would offer his services at once he had several times lent money to madame barcourt or to the boarders but somehow those whom he obliged felt that they would sooner face death than fail to repay him a certain resolute look sometimes seen on his face inspired fear of him for all his appearance of easy good nature in the way he spat there was an imperturbable coolness which seemed to indicate that this was a man who would not stick at a crime to extricate himself from a false position his eyes like those of a pitiless judge seemed to go to the very bottom of all questions to read all natures all feelings and thoughts his habit of life was very regular he usually went out after breakfast returning in time for dinner and disappeared for the rest of the evening letting himself in about midnight with a latch-key a privilege that madame macour accorded to no other boarder but then he was on very good terms with the widow he used to call her mamma and put his arm around her waist a piece of flattery perhaps not appreciated to the full the worthy woman might imagine this to be an easy feat but as a matter of fact no arm but vautrin was long enough to encircle her it was a characteristic trait of his generosity to pay fifteen francs a month for the cup of coffee with a dash of brandy in it which he took after dinner less superficial observers than young men engulfed by the whirlpool of parisian life or old men who took no interest in anything that did not directly concern them would not have stopped short at the vaguely unsatisfactory impression that Vautrin made upon them. He knew or guessed the concerns of everyone about him, but none of them had been able to penetrate his thoughts or to discover his occupation. He had deliberately made his apparent good nature his unfailing readiness to oblige, and his high spirits into a barrier between himself and the rest of them. But not seldom he gave glimpses of appalling depths of character. He seemed to delight in scourging the upper classes of society with the lash of his tongue, to take pleasure in convicting it of inconsistency, in mocking at law and order with some grim jest worthy of juvenal as if some grudge against the social system rankled in him as if there were some mystery carefully hidden away in his life mademoiselle Taillefer felt attracted perhaps unconsciously by the strength of the one man and the good looks of the other her stolen glances and secret thoughts were divided between them but neither of them seemed to take any notice of her although some day a chance might alter her position and she would be a wealthy heiress for that matter there was not a soul in the house who took any trouble to investigate the various chronicles of misfortune real or imaginary related by the rest each one regarded the others with indifference tempered by suspicion it was a natural result of their relative positions practical assistance not one could give This they all knew, and they had long since exhausted their stock of condolence over previous discussions of their grievances. They were in something the same position as an elderly couple who have nothing left to say to each other. The routine of existence kept them in contact, but they were parts of a mechanism which wanted oil. There was not one of them, but would have passed a blind man begging in the street not one that felt moved to pity by a tale of misfortune not one who did not see in death the solution of the all-absorbing problem of misery which left them cold to the most terrible anguish in others the happiest of these hapless beings was certainly madame vercoeur who reigned supreme over this hospital supported by voluntary contributions for her the little garden which silence and cold and rain and drought combined to make as dreary as an Asian steppe was a pleasant shaded nook. The gaunt yellow house, the musty odours of a back shop, had charms for her and for her alone. Those cells belonged to her. She fed those convicts condemned to penal servitude for life and her authority was recognized among them. Where else in Paris could they have found wholesome food in sufficient quantities at the prices she charged them, and the rooms which they were at liberty to make, if not exactly elegant or comfortable, at any rate clean and healthy? If she had committed some flagrant act of injustice, the victim would have borne it in silence." such a gathering contained as might have been expected the elements out of which a complete society might be constructed and as in a school as in the world itself there was among the eighteen men and women who met round the dinner-table a poor creature despised by all the others condemned to be the butt of all their jokes at the beginning of eugene de rastignac's second twelfth month his figure suddenly started out into bold relief against the background of human forms and faces, among which the law student was yet to live for another two years to come. This laughing stock was the retired Vermicelli merchant, Father Goriot, upon whose face a painter, like the historian, would have concentrated all the light in his picture. How had it come about that the boarders regarded him with a half-malignant contempt? Why did they subject the oldest among their number to a kind of persecution in which there was mingled some pity, but no respect for his misfortunes? Had he brought it on himself by some eccentricity or absurdity which is less easily forgiven or forgotten than more serious defects? the question strikes at the root of many a social injustice perhaps it is only human nature to inflict suffering on anything that will endure suffering whether by reason of its genuine humility or indifference or sheer helplessness do we not one and all like to feel our strength even at the expense of someone or of something the poorest sample of humanity the street arab will pull the bell-handle at every street door in bitter weather and scramble up to write his name on the unsullied marble of a monument in the year eighteen thirteen at the age of sixty-nine or thereabouts father goriot had sold his business and retired to madame vacu's boarding-house when he first came there he had taken the rooms now occupied by madame couture he had paid twelve hundred francs a year like a man to whom five louis more or less was a mere trifle for him madame vacour had made various improvements in the three rooms destined for his use in consideration of a certain sum paid in advance so it was said for the miserable furniture that is to say for some yellow cotton curtains a few chairs of stained wood covered with utrecht velvet several wretched coloured prints in frames and wallpapers that a little suburban tavern would have disdained possibly it was the careless generosity with which father goriot allowed himself to be overreached at this period of his life they called him Monsieur Goriot, very respectfully then, that gave Madame Bacur the meanest opinion of his business abilities. She looked on him as an imbecile where money was concerned. Goriot had brought with him a considerable wardrobe, the gorgeous outfit of a retired tradesman who denies himself nothing. Madame Bacur's astonished eyes beheld no less than eighteen cambric fronted shirts the splendour of their fineness being enhanced by a pair of pins each bearing a large diamond and connected by a short chain an ornament which adorned the vermicelli maker's shirt-front he usually wore a coat of cornflower blue his rotund and portly person was still further set off by a clean white waistcoat and a gold chain and seals which dangled over that broad expanse when his hostess accused him of being a bit of a beau he smiled with the vanity of a citizen whose foible is gratified his cupboards or moi as he called them in the popular dialect were filled with a quantity of plate that he brought with him the widow's eyes gleamed as she obligingly helped him to unpack the soup ladles table-spoons forks cruet stands tureens, dishes and breakfast services all of silver which were duly arranged upon shelves besides a few more or less handsome pieces of plate all weighing no inconsiderable number of ounces he could not bring himself to part with these gifts that reminded him of past domestic festivals this was my wife's present to me on the first anniversary of our wedding day he said to madame vacour as he put away a little silver posset dish with two turtle doves billing on the cover poor dear she spent on it all the money she had saved before we were married Do you know I would sooner scratch the earth with my nails for a living, madame, than part with that, but I shall be able to take my coffee out of it every morning for the rest of my days, thank the Lord. I am not to be pitied. There's not much fear of my starving for some time to come. Finally, madame Bacur's magpie's eyes had discovered and read certain entries in the list of shareholders in the funds, and— after a rough calculation was disposed to credit goriot worthy man with something like ten thousand francs a year from that day forward madame vacour née de conflans who as a matter of fact had seen forty-eight summers though she would only own to thirty-nine of them madame vacour had her own ideas Though Goriot's eyes seemed to have shrunk in their sockets, though they were weak and watery, owing to some glandular affection which compelled him to wipe them continually, she considered him to be a very gentlemanly and pleasant-looking man. Moreover, the widow saw favorable indications of character in the well-developed, calves of his legs and in his square-shaped nose, indications still further borne out by the worthy man's full moon countenance and look of stupid good nature. This, in all probability, was a strongly-built animal, whose brains mostly consisted in a capacity for affection. His hair, worn in ayer de pigeon, and duly powdered every morning by the barber from the ecole polytechnique described five points on his low forehead and made an elegant setting to his face though his manners were somewhat boorish he was always as date as a new pin and he took his snuff in a lordly way like a man who knows that his snuff-box is always likely to be filled with macaboy so that when madame Vacour lay down to rest on the day of monsieur goriot's installation her heart like a larded partridge sweltered before the fire of a burning desire to shake off the shroud of vacure and rise again as goriot she would marry again sell her boarding-house give her hand to this fine flower of citizenship become a lady of consequence in the quarter and ask for subscriptions for charitable purposes she would make little sunday excursions to Choisy, soissy gentilly she would have a box at the theatre when she liked instead of waiting for the author's tickets that one of her boarders sometimes gave her in july the whole eldorado of a little parisienne household rose up before madame gvaqueur in her dreams nobody knew that she herself possessed forty thousand francs accumulated sou by sou. that was her secret surely as far as money was concerned she was a very tolerable match and in other respects i am quite his equal she said to herself turning as if to assure herself of the charms of a form that the portly sylvie found moulded in down feathers every morning for three months from that day madame veuve availed herself of the services of monsieur goriot's coiffure and went to some expense over her toilette expense justifiable on the ground that she owed it to herself and her establishment to pay some attention to appearances when such highly respectable persons honored her house with their presence she expended no small amount of ingenuity in a sort of weeding process of her lodgers announcing her intention of receiving henceforward none but people who were in every way select if a stranger presented himself she let him know that monsieur goriot one of the best known and most highly respected merchants in paris had singled out her boarding house for a residence she drew up a prospectus headed maison vacure in which it was asserted that hers was one of the oldest and most highly recommended boarding houses in the latin quarter from the windows of the house thus ran the prospectus there is a charming view of the val des gobelins so there is from the third floor and a beautiful garden extending down to an avenue of lindens at the further end mention was made of the bracing air of the place and its quiet situation it was this prospectus that attracted madame la comtesse de Lambers mesnil a widow of six-and-thirty who was awaiting the final settlement of her husband's affairs and of another matter regarding a pension due her as the wife of a general who had died on the field of battle on this madame barcourt saw to her table lighted a fire daily in the sitting-room for nearly six months and kept the promise of her prospectus even going to some expense to do so and the countess on her side addressed madame barcourt as my dear and promised her two more boarders the baron de Vomeland, and the widow of a colonel the late comte de picoissy who were about to leave a boarding-house in the marais where the terms were higher than at maison vacure both these ladies moreover would be very well to do when the people at the war office had come to an end of their formalities but government departments are always so dilatory the lady added after dinner the two widows went together up to madame vacour's room and had a snug little chat over some cordial and various delicacies reserved for the mistress of the house madame vacour's ideas as to goriot were cordially approved by madame de Mesnil. it was a capital notion which for that matter she had guessed from the very first in her opinion the vermicelli maker was an excellent man ah my dear lady such a well-preserved man of his age as sound as my eyesight a man who might make a woman happy said the widow the good-natured countess turned to the subject of madame vacu's dress which was not in harmony with her projects you must put yourself on a war footing said she after much serious consideration the two widows went shopping together they purchased a hat adorned with ostrich feathers and a cap at the palais royal and the countess took her friend the magasin de la petite Jeannette, where they chose a dress and a scarf thus equipped for the campaign the widow looked exactly like a prize animal hung out for a sign above an alamode beef-shop but she herself was so much pleased with the improvement as she considered it in her appearance that she felt that she lay under some obligation to the countess and though by no means open-handed she begged the lady to accept a hat that cost twenty francs the fact was that she needed the countess's services on the delicate mission of sounding goriot the countess must sing her praises in his ears madame de lambermesnil lent herself very good-naturedly to this manoeuvre began her operations and succeeded in obtaining a private interview but the overtures that she made with a view to securing him for herself were received with embarrassment not to say a repulse she left him revolted by his coarseness my angel said her to her dear friend you will make nothing of that man yonder he is absurdly suspicious and he is a mean curmudgeon an idiot a fool you would never be happy with him after what had passed between monsieur goriot and madame de lambe the Countess would no longer live under the same roof she left the next day forgot to pay for six months board, and left behind her wardrobe cast off clothing to the value of five francs eagerly and persistently as madame vancourt sought her quondam lodger the comtesse de Lambers mesnil was never heard of again in paris the widow often talked of this deplorable business and regretted her own too confiding disposition as a matter of fact she was as suspicious as a cat but she was like many other people who cannot trust their own kin and put themselves at the mercy of the next chance-comer an odd but common phenomenon whose causes may readily be traced to the depths of the human heart. Perhaps there are people who know that they have nothing more to look for from those with whom they live. They have shown the emptiness of their hearts to their housemates, and in their secret selves they are conscious that they are severely judged, and that they deserve to be judged severely, but still, they feel an unconquerable craving for praises that they do not hear or they are consumed by a desire to appear to possess in the eyes of a new audience the qualities which they have not hoping to win the admiration or affection of strangers at the risk of forfeiting it again some day or once more there are other mercenary natures who never do a kindness to a friend or a relation simply because they have a claim upon them while a service done to a stranger brings its reward to self-love such natures feel but little affection for those who are nearest to them they keep their kindness for remoter circles of acquaintance and show most to those who dwell on its utmost limits Madame Vacour belonged to both these essentially mean, false, and execrable classes. If I had been there at the time, Vautrin would say at the end of the story, I would have shown her up, and that misfortune would not have befallen you. I know that kind of fizz. End of Section 1